one of the great challenges of doing podcasts and telling stories is you may tell the same story twice, three times even, over a period of years. And the following story uh, is very important to me. And so it's highly probable you've heard it before. Hopefully it'll be better told today. So good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. This is Chris with Down on the Beach. It's a little more chilly than normal. Grey sky, it's going to rain. I can feel it in the wind. Uh, so it's going to be a quick dip today. No, no big ocean swims, that's for sure. So here we go. I arrived at the reservation, ready to present to 100 people in the round at the Healing Centre, a very magnificent uh, government-funded building uh, with a central fire uh, pit in the middle, uh, gorgeous, gorgeously built out of timber, and I was gung-ho and ready. They said, look, I got met by the by the organizers from the community at the front door and they said look there's an emergency everybody's here waiting for you but there's an emergency and we'd like you to come and help uh, to a certain degree I think I was being a little set up to see whether what I talk about and what I do had any relevance anyway I arrived at this house there were cars quite a number of them probably 20 cars pick up mostly pickup trucks fairly old ones some new ones but the garden and the house itself was on the outskirts of town it was as I've lived in Mildura it was one of those houses that most people don't visit uh, it belongs to a pretty say uh, doing it tough family uh, there were cars on their side and dogs barking uh, on chains and all sorts of things I walk in the door and I'm with my assistant Canadian lady Sharon who hosted me and supported me on all of these journeys into Canada Sharon and I go in the house along with one of the people from the health center and there is everybody sitting in a uh, in the lounge which is directly in front of the front door in a diverse variety of chairs the lounge chairs kitchen chairs beach chairs stools and it, the room was jammed there would have been 30 people a range, range of these 30 people were from 16, 15, 14. Some of them, there were kids sort of scrambling around on the floor, but they weren't part of this whole process. And there were people of age. My seat, a kitchen chair, was facing the group. I was given a cup of 
Nespresso Cafe, uh, instant coffee, and proceedings began. So here's the story. I've set it up for you. You understand the environment. People were smoking, windows were closed. It was cold outside. Uh, and uh, nobody at all was laughing. Directly opposite me was a young lady who was wrapped in a blanket, a little bit shivering, and her neck was red raw. Hmm. Tough men. scattered the room in between the, some fairly large women, but the guys looked very, very, very tough and incredibly dour and threatening. Story. This young lady sitting straight in front of me had hung herself the day before, the night before, at some stage during the night had gone to the, the family tree at which nephews and brothers and cousins, innumerable numbers of them had hung themselves over the past 10 years. The grandma there, the oldest, had seen 12 people of her family either her son's daughters or their son's daughters hung themselves from that tree high up. This young lady had something had happened during the night to trigger her to a state of suicide. I think it wasn't her first attempt. Somebody had found her unconscious hanging from the tree, cut the rope, revived her taken her off to hospital, brought her back because she didn't want to stay there. And here she was in a hungover, depressed, humiliated state with terrible, terrible rope burns to her neck. I'm sorry to spoil your day. The process in um, First Nation, uh, in Canada at least, of dealing with uh, an intervention, a crisis like this, is called a talking stick. Uh, whether or not there's a stick or not, that's not the key. The key is that one person talks, everybody else listens. Next person talks, everybody else listens. And the process that they engaged in traditional as it may be, was not at all healthy. It was an expression of how they felt, which I guess in earlier times was close to being wisdom. Once upon a time when people were connected, really connected to the earth, not drug addicted or alcoholic, alcoholic, or half trapped between Catholicism, which ruled this reservation, and 
traditional ways of thinking halfway between educated and uh, unemployed uh, feelings that were once probably very astute had now become self-indulgent and complicated, let's put it that way mildly. So we started the process. My job was to sit in the chair and listen to 30 people share what they felt. After the first two said that they loved this young lady who tried to hang herself and that hanging herself was not a solution and that she would go into, into hell uh, and blah, blah, blah. I got to about 10 people and I just stopped it. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I cannot be here anymore. Uh, I'm not adding value to this environment. I don't want to listen to this. It's not helping. If it helped, the other 10 or 11 people who'd uh, disposed of themselves through this tree wouldn't be dead. Your process stinks. Um, I respect it. If you think that's traditional behavior, good luck. But the feelings you all got and what you're saying is not helping. So if you would like my help, I'll give you the next hour and I'll have an intervention with this person. Didn't even know her name. And uh, see where we go. And uh, a couple of the guys stood up really, really violently and uh, came towards me. But Grandma, uh, what did they call her? Madada is the way they talk about Grandpa, but I can't remember the words for Mama, but let's call her Grandma. Stopped them. And she said, I want him to talk. And because she was the senior of the room, I got to talk. And I turned to this young lady, I said, why? And she said, in a sequence of uh, sobs and tears and people huggling her and I told them, leave her alone. Just let her talk to me. Get your arms off her, get your hands off her. I said, why? And she said, blah, 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 I'm a bitch. I said, so that's the bottom line, right? You're a bitch? She goes, yes. And I don't want to live. And I go, okay. I said, well, that's a strange thing because I just finished working with Madonna in New York. And uh, she sings a song, I'm a bitch, I'm a bitch. <coughs> and she's a bitch, but she's making a billion dollars out of it. So I'm not sure I quite understand the correlation between killing yourself and being like Madonna. And I said, and I know indirectly Mother Teresa. And I say she holds companies to ransom uh, to pay her, pay her um, bills 
to bring up impoverished children. So I'm not sure I understand why being a bitch is hangable when there are two people that you might identify with who make a living out of it. Oh, everybody was so angry. So I said, yeah, you're a bitch. Ooh. There were men there in that room that could break my neck with a single move of their hand. There's one guy in that community, his hands were registered as lethal weapons. His fist punch was so hard that if it hit you on the face, it would probably kill you. A little short, stocky, tough guy. Spent most of his life in and out of jail and the police had a permission that if they saw him walking on the street and he didn't have a good reason to be there, uh, they could arrest him. The reason that they would arrest him was because he had made it a, a mandate for him to beat up every single person who was in his class at high school that teased him about being short. And he was up to 15 and he was committed to finishing the job and spending another 20 years in jail for assault. We're going back to the room now and I'm calling this young lady who's tried to kill herself for being a bitch. I'm saying, yeah, you are a bitch. And she's now saying, no, I'm not a bitch. I'm a... And then I heard her story, which is that she was um, incested as a child. She ran away from home very, very young age, I would say eight or nine, I think, took her brother with her and lived off the land in a railway station for years. I would suspect as she grew into 13s and 14s, she got into some substance challenges and uh, probably uh, some stuff with uh, the law, but uh, I don't know all that. And finally, she was here in this room uh, and having had two children uh, she, she already, both the children were taken off her by social security as she was taken off her parents. This uh, process of abusive behavior is, um, is not a gene and it's not a meme, it's a, it's a reaction. And it was an opportunity for me to sort of drill down and see the truth in a person's world that would be so harsh that they would uh, ideate suicide. I said to her, you know uh, the truth about suicide. You don't, you don't. It doesn't matter if you kill yourself. Nobody gives a shit. After a year, nobody will remember you. But when you come back, when you reincarnate, when you come back on this earth for another go round, you start where you finished last time. So all the shit you're dealing with about yourself is just unfinished business that you'll have to come back and finish. And I said, the unfinished business is pretty simple. If someone else can be a bitch and get paid for it, and I pointed to my uh, associate, but she'd fainted from the heat and the smoke, she passed out. And I asked everybody in the room, who's a bitch? Well, even grandma stuck a hand up for that one. And suddenly we start to see what happens in Western society is we have this ideation of 
perfect. We have this ideation of morals and ethics, and we have this ideation of self, which creates the ideation of suicide and the ideation of depression, because if we don't meet the standard, we're shit. Now, if you take every human being on this planet and you ask them all of the human traits that they have, you'll find about three and a half thousand good ones and three and a half thousand things that we call bad. That's the human condition. Every human being has every human trait. And that's quite interesting to hear. What's it mean? It means that even if you pick the nastiest person you've ever met in your life and you divide their behavior into traits, into like uh, cruel, mean, violent, nasty, vindictive, selfish. If you do that and slice it down, you have every single one of the nastiest person of the qualities of the nastiest person you've ever met has. What's that mean? Well, it means at some point when you say, I love myself, you love yourself conditionally as long as you don't do any of the things you don't like in others. And it leads to another question is, can you love one person, your missus or your husband, can you love one person and hate another? If every human being has every human trait, the qualities you hate in one person exist in the person you love. Or is your love for the person you're with a conditional love that says, as long as you don't exhibit the trait of my ex-husband, I'll continue to like you. But if you exhibit the trait in my ex-wife, if you exhibit the trait in my ex-wife that I don't like, I won't like you or love you anymore. And then we find there's this strange thing called relationships, which is as long as you be who I want you to be, I'll be with you because that will let me love you. But if you be any of the things that I don't want you to be because I haven't resolved my history, then I won't love you, I won't like you, and I'll leave you. And then I'll tell everybody what an asshole you were because you did things that I believe are similar to things in my ex-partner or my father or mother that I don't like. Unresolved. And we pass these unresolved issues of father, mother, ex-husband, ex-father, ex-whatever onto our kids because we like them if they behave the way that we like and we don't like them when they behave the way we don't like, which is when we don't like, that reflects who we didn't like, who our grandpa didn't like or even our grandma didn't like. So we ideate certain behaviors and we ideate hating certain behaviors, but can you really imagine it's possible? Can you imagine it's possible to love one person and hate another if every human being has every human trait? So there's work to be done, isn't there? If you don't want to pass this shit on to your kids or end up like this young lady, and you know what, I've, I see um, more cases of slow suicide than I see cases of slow success. I see more people slowly suiciding themselves through their uh, self-abuse and through their um, diets and, and addictions and their problems and their negativity. I see more people slow suiciding than I see people slow living. And that's a really sad fact on life. But it's all because we idealize certain behaviors that are quite often the opposite to the person we don't like. We say, I don't like this person, and therefore, as long as you are not like that person, I can love you. Now, this is really, really 
really complicated. It's, it happens in everyday life to an extreme. But here I am in a room in Canada with a young lady who wants to kill herself for being what everybody, every woman in the world would say, yeah, look, from time to time, I'm a bitch to somebody. I'm a bitch at work. I'm a bitch to my kids. I'm a bitch. And so from time to time, I am that person, but I don't suicide because of it, but she does because <clears throat> she labeled that behavior unlovable. She labeled it unlovable in her mother or in the person who raped her or the person who uh, hurt her or whatever, or the healing journey that she'd been on in the therapy that she'd done had demonstrated that, you know, like everybody in the room, out of kindness, you're a wonderful person. You're a wonderful person, therefore you're not a bitch which magnifies the gap, doesn't it? It expands the gap between this bitch and this wonderful person. Every time someone says you're a wonderful person, it expands the gap. It reinforces the void. It reinforces the separation between, uh, between uh, the bitch and the queen. And it only takes a little bit of alcohol and maybe a bit of a punch up with another woman, which I think was involved in this situation, to translate into, I'm a bitch, I'm not worth living. Now that's extreme, but how often do we all do this? I'm a bastard or I'm a bitch or I'm this or I'm that, and it's not worth living, therefore I'll have an extra glass of wine, therefore I need to work harder at the gym, and therefore I need to be stricter with my children or nicer to my children and we react and that reaction is corruption because it comes from a little brain little bubble on the top of our shoulders called our head our conscious and subconscious mind this little world of uh, that uh, that it's like a prison of thoughts and expectations and conditioning that we have no idea about especially the uncon unconscious part the solution to this is to visualize the magnificence of being a human being no matter what the emotional qualities are. Don't be afraid of moral corruption because it just won't happen. If you feel good about yourself, if you can visualize yourself, it just being a magnificent creation from the universe, uh, your emotional behavior or your morals and ethic behavior will not become the basis on which you judge your worthiness of taking the next breath or your worthiness of being paid more, or your worthiness of being given a promotion, or your worthiness of a new job, or the worthiness of having kids. And so you will develop a more grounded and more beautiful sense of self, a love and loyalty to yourself. Not by compliance or conditioning, not by conforming to a mindset, like this young lady had and therefore uh, taking herself to a place of um, suicide ideation or depression or whatever it was. After an hour in this, in this room, people settled down and smoked more cigarettes and the room filled more with smoke and Sharon <coughs> stayed unconscious on the floor. I got this young lady to stand up and say to the room, I'm a bitch and I love it. And they all laughed and everyone started giggling and she started laughing. And the people who brought me to the reservation started laughing and everyone's going, and I said to her, son of a gun, 
six hours ago you wanted to kill yourself, now you want to love yourself for it. And they all thought it was the funniest thing on earth. It's not only preventative suicide for her, but preventative suicide for everybody she knows. Anyway, long and the short of this story comes to a conclusion, and it's a very important conclusion because it's not an American happy ending or, or a massage. At the end of this meeting, I arranged to see her privately without the 30 people in the audience on the following visits to their reservation. And on those meetings, I helped her deal with many, many, many of the things that she judged in herself over the journey of being uh, a young runaway. And she developed this strength well, she had the strength, but she tapped into that strength by stopping judging herself. And as she tapped into that strength, uh, back in New York, my office uh, where I was building the real business was uh, associated with the Jain sect. My, uh, my relations down in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and artists and people who worked in non-violence down there belonged to the Jain sect. And I had met some of the Jains and they had an office at the, at the United Nations. And, the Uni and I was talking to them about this young lady and what power she was. And she said, they said, well, we're sponsoring the World Convention on Youth at United Nations. Would she speak? Wow. Within seconds, I was on the phone to the community leaders and said, could she come? And they said, escorted with chaperones? Yes. So the two of them uh, from the community chaperoned her a couple of months later down into New York. They stayed together in a hotel and she stood in front of, I think, 2,000 people at the World Convention on Youth at the United Nations and gave a talk about moving from suicide to love, from hating herself to loving herself, and shocked the crowd, changed a lot more lives. <clears throat> but the story's not over. And here's the unhappy ending. She went back to her community as a, a person who had stepped out of the meme of the community, which is drink, party, fight, die, argue, to I love myself, I want to improve my health, I want to eat well, I want to bring up, I want to get my children back from social services. I've spoken at the United Nations and eight girls found her one night walking home and beat the shit out of her with baseball bats and clubs and put her in hospital for a very long period of time. She had to leave the community because she changed. Now I find this exact same situation in domestic. When I coach somebody, sometimes their spouse says, no, you will not break the meme of our family. I want to stay arguing. I want to stay uh, vindictive. And I don't want to like the parts of you that you're starting to like. I don't want you to have a vision. I don't want you to think about outside the box. 
of the confinement of this community called our home. It's really hard, isn't it? Because out of love, you don't want to break the meme of your family, but out of love for yourself, you know you must. So, it's all, although I tell a story about a, a young woman in Canada who I still to this day admire and, and, and respect for her incredible courage, I'm actually talking about us and our homes and having the courage to be different and, and recognizing that we're, we are environmentally imprisoned by starting with our conscious and our subconscious brain, starting with our beliefs about right and wrong, our starting with our beliefs about lovable and not lovable, because you can't love one person and hate another. And it's in the hating of somebody or the dislike of somebody that there is an opportunity to love somebody else more. This is Chris. You have a beautiful day and go on for a dip before the thunder comes. Bye for now.